Good morning, everyone. How's it going? Good. Um, did you know today is the day of Pentecost? Yeah, it's Pentecost Sunday. It's the day where we're celebrating the outpouring of the Spirit. It's a major event that we're celebrating today, that we're remembering today across the world. The day of Pentecost, Pentecost simply means 50th day. It coincided with a major fe- Jewish festival called the Festival of Weeks, or the fe- Feast of Weeks. Weeks, meaning seven days. It was seven, seven, seven weeks after Passover, or our Easter. And it was this major festival and feast where all the Jews from the region would come together to Jerusalem to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. It was a major festival. And on this day, all the Jews would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate from all around the region. But on that day, on that day, they didn't just gather for a festival to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. God did something that day. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 1, where the word of God was, to disciples was to wait, right? Wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to look at what they were waiting for. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, and this is what they were waiting for. This is what the Holy Spirit did on the day of Pentecost. So let's read Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven because it was the Feast of Weeks. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So we had two groups, two responses to this event. One scoffed and said, well, <laughs> they had too much wine. That's what's going on here. The other group that were seekers, that were earnestly seeking, okay, what is God doing here? They asked, what does this mean? That's my question today for us. What does this mean for us? Because the day of Pentecost, what we just read, is a historical event. It happened 2,000 years ago. Right? Does it mean then that we're expecting this to happen today in the same way? That today we're going to pray for a rushing wind to come in, tongues of fire to come and fall on people. Is that what we're calling for? Is that how we look at this passage? What does this mean for us? Does it mean that the Holy Spirit just moved back then but is not moving now? What does it mean for us? Or does it mean that this was the moment where the church was on the move? This is the moment where God birthed the church and accelerated it 
into, put it into hyperdrive and went, okay, you are going out. You are going to now make disciples of all nations. You're going to fulfill the mission that I have been doing since the beginning of time. And is he still doing it today? That's why I want to answer. What does it mean for us? So as we do that, let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, Holy Spirit, this service is yours. Of course it's yours. These people are yours. Of course they are. This church is yours, the bride of Christ. So, Lord, I pray that you would come and you would speak. You would come and you would convict. You would come and you would reveal the truth of your word. And that it would, you would reveal yourself to us. You would reveal your heart to us. And it will sink in both to our minds, our hearts, and travel to our hands as well. In Jesus' name, amen. We see two things from this passage on the day of Pentecost. Two major things. The first is the rest no longer exists. The rest no longer exists. Let me explain what I mean by that. See, before this moment in the Old Testament, whenever you would see the Spirit move, right, it would only fall and fill a certain group of people. Like, very few people in the community of God's people would actually be filled with the Holy Spirit, whereas the rest of the community would not. Like, they would not have the Spirit. And that's very foreign to us, because if you're a believer, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. But that's really weird that there'd be a part of the community that would not have the Holy Spirit. But back then, in the Old Testament, there was two groups of people in the community. There were the anointed, and there was the rest, the unanointed. There were the called, and there was the rest, the uncalled. There was the spirit-filled, and then there was the rest, the unspirit-filled, right? And let me show you in Exodus chapter 31, verse 2 to 5. See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I've filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Now, this is really cool. I love this passage because the Spirit of wisdom filled him not just to prophesy, not just to lead, but to work with his hands, right? It filled him with skill. The spirit of wisdom filled him with skill to create designs and artwork and designs for the tabernacle that were God-glorifying. God's spirit, when he fills you, he can activate you in any way he wants, in the way that he's designed you to. But it filled him and only a select few of them for this specific purpose, to fulfill their God-given task. Then Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9 now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. This marked the transition period from Moses to Joshua. And what happened at that moment was that the spirit that filled Moses also filled Joshua. And it gave him leadership competency, it gave him leadership skill, but also it gave him leadership authority to now lead the people of Israel. The Spirit, when it filled someone, it enabled them and gave them power and competency and skill and authority to operate in their God-given task and responsibility. That's what we see throughout the Old Testament. And that's what it meant to be anointed, right? Anointed means to be smeared, smeared. They were anointed, filled with the Holy Spirit for a God-given task. And so in the Old Testament, there was a clear divide between these kind of people, the anointed, and the rest of the community. 
And that changed on the day of Pentecost. Because what do you see happening on the day of Pentecost? The Spirit comes on tongues of fire, as a, as a tongue, as a tongue of fire, and he divides, and then he falls on some, all. All the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you read the number of, if you count the number of languages that people heard, or the people that were there, that heard their, their own language or their own dialect, right? That's more than 11. So it's likely that there were more than the 11 apostles in this room. Maybe there was the 120 disciples that we read in Acts chapter 1 that were in this room. And so the point is the Spirit came and filled all these disciples. And you can see, right, how unprecedented this is, how monumental this is. This is a huge change because never before has the Holy Spirit filled all people. And it's the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. If you read just a bit further on in Acts chapter 2, Peter, the apostle Peter, gets up and he delivers a sermon. And in the sermon, he will quote Joel chapter 2. And he's pretty much saying, what's happening today, the day of Pentecost, is a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, of the prophecy in Joel chapter 2, which says this, and afterward I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. The prophecy of Joel was that the spirit would now be poured out on all people, all flesh, young, old, servants even, that everyone is going to get the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see on the day of Pentecost. Therefore, let me ask you this question. Who then is anointed for God's work? You are. You are. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, you are anointed for God's work. It is not just the pastor that's anointed for God's work. It's not just your connect group leader that's anointed for God's work. It's not just the volunteer out there that's that's anointed for God's work. Every single one of us is now anointed for God's work. And this is the beautiful thing. The playing field has now been leveled in God's kingdom. No longer are there, that's this anointed people over there. Okay, they're the ones that are close to God. All of us are anointed now with the same Holy Spirit. Therefore, the rest no longer exists. Therefore, the person preaching on Sunday has the same anointing of the Spirit as the person paving roads on Monday. Same Holy Spirit filling us. Same anointing. Same anointing, just maybe working out itself differently. That means a few things. It means for those who serve, for those who serve, there may be a place for honor, but there's no place for pride. There may be a place for honor, but there's no place for pride. Meaning that it's okay, and I think it's good that people who serve the church, serve you, activate their God-given gifts to bless others, they should be honored. They should be honored. But we cannot let that honor turn to pride. The moment we start thinking, I deserve that honor. I am a bit different from the rest. You've got it wrong. 
you're starting to slip that into Old Testament mentality, where you're starting to think that I'm anointed and that's the rest. No, there's no division anymore. There's no division anymore. And we must be careful that also we do not start worshipping and venerating those who serve us. That we start worshipping and venerating the pastor and leader that serves, especially the gifted ones or the very powerful ones. They don't start worshipping them, putting them on a pedestal and going, this is anointed. They are so anointed. They're so, look at them, the power that oozes out from them. Do you realize the same power that oozes out from them is the same power that oozes out from you. The same spirit that animates them is the same spirit that animates you. And what you're doing, when the danger is when you start venerating and worshipping these people, is that you're starting to separate, carve a divide between you and them and going, they're anointed and I'm not. They have something that I don't. Do they? Do they? No, they don't. The day of Pentecost changed that. Same Holy Spirit that gifts them gifted you. But what we may be, oh, and, and you know, I got to tell you about one incident that struck me. Um, a guest speaker came to preach, and I was, you know, taking care of them, making sure they're okay, briefing them. And um, we were outside, and we were about to enter the auditorium. And the auditorium doors were closed. And so we're waiting there. And um, some church members saw the guest speaker and they're like, oh, are you speaking to us today? And they're like, yes, I am. Like, oh, well, then you must go first. Please, go first. You, 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 you're very important. You must, you must head in before us. And I was thinking, they got a point. Um, got stuff to do. Got, he's got to be briefed. We've got stuff to sort out. Maybe we should go in first. And, but before I could tell the welcome team, hey, can you please open the doors for us? The guest speaker immediately responded with no. No, the, at the cross, we are all equal. The playing field is leveled at the foot of the cross. And we stood there, waited for the auditorium doors to open. Now, that probably meant nothing to that speaker. Maybe it meant nothing to those who heard it, but it meant something to me because it reminded me that it doesn't matter what capacity you serve God, we are all equal before Him. Because the same Spirit that is given to you has been given to me, has been given to all of us. And therefore, there must be no separation between those who serve in church and those who not. However, what we may be, what we may be feeling when we say, when we feel that someone is more anointed than we are, is that this person seems to be filled with the Spirit more than me. Now, could this be true? I think there's something to be said about that. Because there is this, a distinction between just having the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20, verse 22, we read this very interesting incident when Jesus has resurrected and is meeting his disciples. He says, And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So, it's very likely that the disciples already had the Holy Spirit before the day of Pentecost. Yet Jesus tells them, wait for the Holy Spirit. Why? You already have the Holy Spirit. Why are you waiting for the Holy Spirit? Because on the day of Pentecost, they don't just have the Holy Spirit, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And this is what's going to give them power to fulfill God's mission. And throughout the book of Acts, we see one of the hallmarks, one of the key criteria of, being, of serving God in some capacity. So, for example, when they are deciding who to um, select to be deacons in the church, to serve the widows in the church, one of the key criteria is to look for people that are full of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it's very important that, it's, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does this mean, though? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And we may all have our own conceptions, own images of what being filled with the Spirit means. We may have our own experiences of what being filled with the Spirit means. But I believe being filled with the Spirit simply means this, that the Spirit completely fills every part of you. Every part of you, your Will, your emotions, your heart, your mind, your bodies, every part of you is devoted and submitted to the Lord. That's what being filled with the Spirit means. If, you can, if I can put it this way, imagine that your life is like a house with many rooms. When you come to the Lord, you instinctively open up some doors in your house and some rooms in your house are filled with the Spirit of God, that He has room and he has access and he has authority to direct you in those areas and to bless you in those areas. And so maybe it's you, when you came to Christ, you, um, you allowed him access to your health or maybe you allowed him access to your, your mind, your, how you think or your thought patterns, or maybe you allowed him access to your relationships or whatever it is. You allowed him access to your eternal destiny, right? And your, your fears. You allowed him access to some areas, to direct you in some areas, but not all areas of your life. There's some areas, for example, your career maybe, you haven't allowed him access to. So whenever he touches on those things, it kind of just bounces off you and you go, well, that's for another day, right? Or maybe it's your marriage. Whenever something touches on your marriage, you go, well, maybe later, right? And those areas of your life are closed off. What happens when the Spirit fills you is that all the doors of your life are flung open and he fills every single room in your house. And every part of you, every single part of you, your career, your ambitions, your, your, even your thought patterns, your habits, how you use your time, how you use your finances, everything is now devoted to Him. It is under His Lordship. Being filled with the Spirit is less about having a nice experience and it's more about the Lordship of Christ over your life. That's what being filled with the Spirit means. And that's what we see on the day of Pentecost, that these disciples were under the Lordship of Christ in a complete and total way. And when Christ takes hold of you and you allow and you bow your knee completely to Him in every respect, you follow Him. You, he directs you now. Therefore, He gave them tongues. They didn't have any control of that. But he did it because he had sovereign rule over every part of their body, including their mouths, including their tongues. But what was the purpose of God filling them? What was this purpose? Was it just to be cool? Was it just, was it just to give people an amazing experience? No. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit filled the disciples. And what did the Spirit do? Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And 11, what does it say? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And in verse 11, what was the response to the crowd? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own 
tongues. Now, the question that some of us might be asking, and I just need to cover this very quickly, is the kind of tongues that may have been spoken. We wonder, you know, because what we usually do when we read Acts chapter 2 is focus on tongues, don't we? We look at tongues and go, well, this is the thing, right? Isn't this the main thing that on the day of Pentecost, tongues was given? So what kind of tongues were there? We ask all these questions, you know, were there actual known languages? Was it heavenly language? Was it actually not about tongues at all? Was the real miracle that the fact that everyone, 3,000 or thousands of people heard their own language being spoken? Was the miracle really the miracle of hearing? Now, I'm, there's a case to be made for all these interpretations. Um, I think it's unlikely that it's a heavenly language because the word used to describe the type of tongue is, is usually refers to known languages or dialects. So it's probably, you know, they're actually speaking actually known languages. Um, it could have been a miracle of hearing because it is pretty incredible that thousands of people heard their own tongue, their own language being spoken, right, in that, in that place. That's amazing. Maybe it could have been a miracle of healing. Maybe, I don't know. But to me, what's most likely, and this is what the passage focuses on, is that the, that the miracle was that the disciples were speaking in known languages and dialects, and that's what amazed the crowd, because when they heard that, they were amazed and perplexed, because aren't these Galileans that are speaking? How do they know my language? How do they know all these different dialects and languages? That's what amazed them. But regardless of that, regardless of what it is, and maybe you have your own view, the point is not tongues. Tongues was simply a means to achieve an end. And what was that end? What was that end? If I can summarize it this way, it was to expand the worship of God to the nations. It was to expand the worship of God to the nations. And he did that specifically through the gift of tongues. Why? Why tongues in particular? Well, I think there's very specific reasons why he chose to use the gift of tongues. Two purposes, at least two reasons I can think of. First, God was redeeming the curse of Babel. God was redeeming the curse of Babel. If you're familiar with that story, it is in Genesis chapter 11. And in Genesis chapter 11, we read about the story of the Tower of Babel, where a group of people come together and congregate in one location and decide to build this massive city with a tower reaching to the heavens. Now, it seems pretty harmless at first, until you realize that the, that the reason they were doing it was to make a name for themselves. It was a project of pride. It was a project to glorify themselves and to show how great they were. But not only that, it was also disobedient to God's original command, which was to fill the whole earth. This is kind of subtle, but the, the people were gathering in one place instead of spreading out and filling the whole earth. And that was in direct opposition to what disobedience to what God had desired for them. And so as judgment for the disobedience and pride, God gave them different languages, and it caused confusion among them, and eventually it caused them to disperse and separate. Different languages since that time became evidence of God's judgment of our pride-filled unity. Whenever we have tried to gather, languages has become the evidence of our pride-filled unity, which is all about elevating ourselves. However, on the day of Pentecost, 
God was redeeming the curse of Babel by reversing its effects. God was redeeming the curse of Babel by reversing its effects. So on the day of Pentecost, what do you see happening? Disciples are congregating in one place. They all speak one language. And when the Spirit comes, they speak in other languages. You see the similarity so far with Tower of Babel and and the day of Pentecost? Okay, exactly similar so far. But the effect and the result is completely different. When the Spirit comes, instead of confusion, instead of division, there is unity. What happens when Peter speaks to the crowd? 3,000 people get saved. People are brought into the kingdom rather than chased out of the kingdom. There is unity. And instead of judgment, there is salvation. This is what the Holy Spirit does. When he comes and fills us, when he comes and fills a community, there is peace. He brings people in rather than chases them out. He brings unity amongst us rather than division. When the Holy Spirit really grips us, he will bring true unity. It's amazing that when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples, that he did not erase and eliminate their differences. That he did not just make them all robots, but instead he affirmed their differences. He stepped into it. And, but he gave us something greater and beyond ourselves that would unite us in that submission to the one Lord and King, Jesus Christ. Because you see, when we try to unite ourselves, when we try to live at peace with one, one another, there's a couple of ways that we can practically do it. There's only a few ways to really be united. And the world and all of us are trying to be united as much as possible. And there's a few ways to do it. There's one way, which is what is being popularized now, is to ignore our differences or um, devalue our differences. Pretend they don't exist. Or say things like, this is your truth and this is my truth. What we're saying is, what does it matter? What is really true? As long as you have your truth, I have my truth, that's all that matters. Let's come and be friends together. But here's the problem. That sometimes our truths are in direct conflict with one another. It's hard to then ignore our differences. Also, our differences matter. Our differences simply matter. It matters a lot to us how different we are. So unity at the expense of truth is not real unity at all. There's another way to do it, and it's by the elimination of our differences. Just eliminate our differences, enforced by rule and law that we ought to act, think, and live a certain way. Do you know what you get? A totalitarian regime, where by oppression, everyone acts a certain way, believes a certain thing. That's what you get. Or you get a cult. Or you get a cult where the charisma of one leader tells you how to live, think, breathe, talk. And you all become like robots instead of humans. But this is not real unity. Unity by elimination of individuality and uniqueness is not true unity. The only way to truly unite a group of people that are diverse with all our different ways of thinking, with all our different backgrounds and lifestyles and values is to have the one spirit 
to fill each and every person. And that one spirit gives them that one mind of Christ and that one submission to one king and one rule. That's the only way that we can truly be united and affirm our differences so that each one of us can still be who you are. But we are all bowing our knee to the one king, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the only way to truly be united. And he does this and enables this by filling us with that one spirit. That's why it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, Therefore, if you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. What is he describing there? He's describing unity. He's describing unity, true unity in Christ under the power of the Holy Spirit. The result when a community is filled with the Spirit is not the devaluing of our differences or the elimination of our differences, but the submission of our differences under the Lordship of Christ. It is therefore of utmost importance that we as a community, are filled with spirit more and more. Because only then can we truly love and serve one another. That is why Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 35 says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see that it is not only when we share the gospel that we are expanding the worship of God to the nations, it is also when we love and serve one another that God is glorified, that when people are outside looking in, they're going, there is something there. That's the love of God. That is God. When we love and serve one another, filled by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, we are declaring God's glory to the nations. And that is why it's so important that we are filled with the Spirit. The second specific reason why the gift of tongues was being given is so that people could hear God praised in their own language, in their own tongue. If you think about it, this was really unnecessary. That was actually really unnecessary. It was cool, but unnecessary. Because everyone there spoke the common, a common language. They all knew Aramaic. They all knew Koine Greek. In fact, when Peter stood up and spoke to the crowd, he probably spoke in Aramaic. Everyone could understand what he was saying. Right? Then why give them different tongues? Why activate the disciples so that they could speak in the native languages and dialects of the people there? Where they could all speak the same language. I think this reveals something very significant about God's heart. God's heart is for the people of the nations. God's heart is for all people of all nations. And that is why in Acts chapter 2 verse 5, we read this line that Luke makes a special mention. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven. He's specifically trying to communicate to us that this is God's heart. You get this. He chose a specific moment because he wanted to gather people back into his kingdom from all nations. Yes, he started with the Jews, but he's not going to end there. As we go along in Acts, we're going to see him start going from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's going to get there. He's going to get there. And you know what? We are the result of that. 
with the result of that. I mean, not many people here are Jews. Not many people here would say, you are Samaritan, right? Not many people here are from the Middle East. You are the ends of the earth. We are the ends of the earth. But it started here on the day of Pentecost. It started here. And we see God's heart for the nations. God's breaking down the walls that separate the nations from worshiping him and is bringing them back to him. And this is the missional heart of God, to reclaim the nations back to him. I love what, how John Piper frames it. He says this, missions exist because worship does not. Missions is our way of saying the joy of knowing Christ is not a private or tribal or national or ethnic privilege. It is for all, and that's why we go, because we have tasted the joy of worshiping Jesus, and we want all the families of the earth included. So, when the Spirit filled the disciples on the day of Pentecost, he gave them tongues. Why? Why? It's to declare the praises of God to the nations. So that all people on earth will worship him from every tribe, tongue, and language. And when the Spirit fills you, that's also what he's going to do. That's also what he's going to do. He's going to use you. He's going to move you to expand the worship of God to the nations. I'll be very honest here. I do not consider myself a missionary, meaning that I do not consider myself called to a foreign people group. I've met and have had friends that are called to that kind of stuff, and man, it is incredible, the burden that they have for a foreign people group. And I know some of you here, there's a growing burden for somewhere outside of Perth, a group of people, an ethnicity, uh, an ethnic group. There's a growing burden there's a desire to reach them for Christ. That is amazing. And I know that is not me. That is not me. I want to teach and preach the Word of God. I don't care to who. I just want to preach and teach the Word of God. And naturally, I want nothing more than just to hunker down here in my local church and just preach and teach the Word of God to Christians. I want nothing more than that. But as I look at Scripture, as I look at the day of Pentecost, as I grow in my knowledge of God, I cannot shake the feeling. I cannot ignore the fact that time and time again, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, God's heart is for always people out there. All the time. God's heart is for all people. Not just you. Not just me. It's for them. For all people who are different than us, wildly different than us. His heart is for them. That's why it says in Revelation 7, verse 9 to 10, this is the image that we get of the end of time. What do we see? After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation! belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. When the Spirit comes and fills His church, He is going to move it in a powerful way to reach people 
of all tongues, of all nationalities, of all tribes, from every nation, of different languages. He's going to move you and empower you to do that. Sometimes I... No, no, not sometimes. When the church asks for a filling of the Spirit, why do you ask for that? Why do you ask for that? Is it just so you can have a good cry? Is it so that you can have a nice experience? Is it so just, just so that you can be set free from habits that have controlled you? Those are all good things. All good things. All good things. But on the day of Pentecost, is that why the Spirit was poured out on the church? So that the disciples could have a tingle? Hair stand on end? Ooh, the whole spirit's moving. This is amazing. It's just so that he could put on a show for the crowd? No. It's so that the nations could hear God worshipped and so that God will be worshipped and praised throughout all the nations. The spirit is on the move, but the church is not. Why? Because we are not filled. We're not filled. We're not under the lordship of Christ. Maybe some parts of you are, but not every part of you. And that's why when God is moving, our feet are still planted because our feet have not yet been devoted under the lordship of Christ. He's not just filled you yet. And that's the importance of being filled with the Spirit. That's what we see on the day of Pentecost when God's poured out on the church. He moves them out. What happens every time we're going to see this throughout the book of Acts. Every time the Spirit comes and is filling the disciples, what happens next? The church grows. People are saved. He sends them out. He always sends them out. Always sends them out. And the church always tries to congregate back. The church always tries to gather back. Always tries to hunker back down. But every time the Spirit comes and fills them, they're sent back out. They're sent back out. And this is exactly what the Spirit is doing today. But the church... We want to hunker back down. We want nothing more than it to end here. End here on Sunday, have a nice experience here, go back on Monday, and things are back to normal. If the Spirit comes and fills you, nothing is normal anymore. Your schools are not normal anymore. Our educational institutions are not normal anymore. Your workplaces are not normal anymore. Your neighborhoods are not normal anymore because the church is on the move. The Spirit is on the move through you. You know, the, the, the feeling that I get sometimes, the message I get sent sometimes, is that whenever we call for the Spirit to come and fill us, it's just about your intimacy with Christ. Your intimacy with Christ. It's about you and Christ. Yes. And, and, as you worship Christ, He is going to send you to extend the worship to others. And I don't know how. I don't know how. Maybe you're going to pray more. I have no idea. Maybe you're going to start having conversations with people that you've never had before. Opportunities, divine appointments happen. I don't know how the Spirit is going to move, but He is going to move. He is going to move. And therefore, the key message that I want you to take away from today is that if you're going to be filled with the Spirit, get ready to move with God. Because it's not just for you. It's for them. 
is for them. I was speaking to a pastor during the week, and he was telling me about um, God is doing about God's doing something in his church, and the Spirit is moving. He's actually convicting people of their sins. People are coming back to him in repentance. Marriages are being restored. Relationships are being restored. There is renewal in their hearts. After a while, though, he was noticing that it was dying down. Things were dying down. And he was wondering why. What's going on? And as he was praying and seeking God, he felt God say this to him to release the congregation to his church. And he said this, If you want a shower of heaven, it will end today. If you just want a shower from heaven, it will end today. But if you want to steward the Spirit of God and what He's doing, it will cost you everything. Sometimes we think that having the Spirit come and fill us is just going to be a nice experience. No. What we see on the day of Pentecost and what we see throughout the church history and what we're going to see today is that when the Spirit comes and fills you, it will cost you everything because it means a total submission of your life to Christ. To Christ. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. That's what we see on the day of Pentecost. And that's what I'm going to call for today. That's what I'm going to invite you to receive today. So, (laughs) it's very quiet in here, Um, but if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I want you to come down the front, and we're going to pray that the Spirit would fill you. And we are not going to be satisfied with you just having a nice experience. We're going to pray that every part of you bends its knee to Him. And that when you leave here, you are under the total Lordship of Christ. So that when you go back home, when you go to lunch, every part of you is submitted to Him. Is that okay? Yeah? All right. Let's stand. Let's stand. City, online campus. Let me pray for us, and then you guys can take over. In church, as we sing the song, come down the front. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit to move into the nations. Oh, Lord, thank you, Lord, for your spirit that's on the move. Lord, I pray that you'd come and fill your church so that it, too, is on the move. Oh, Lord, you desire your bride to be refined, to be pure, to be holy. You desire your church to be your hands and feet. Oh Lord, may you come and fill us so that we truly are your hands and feet. That are not just tucked in up in your pockets, but they're reaching out to bless and to heal the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.